easily offended. Trust us on this. This show contains adult information and opinions. Please protect small children, sensitive pets, fragile houseplants, and liberal relatives. Thank you. Warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Good morning, good morning. Coach Hogg here in Coach Hogg's locker room here in the uh, tiny woods of North Central Florida on a clear day. And after the storm, and we'll get into that, of course, during the weather report and all of that is uh, means for us and everywhere else around the state. But right now we're in Coach Hogg's locker room and uh, we are inside the Milton Law Studio. 50 years of experience, the only official law firm partner of University of Florida. Full legal service and protected by CPSS.net Crime Prevention Center. So um, check out the mugshots. See uh, the illustrations of those who are guilty of transgressions in the community and alert yourself accordingly. Well, 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 thanks to all our sponsors and our, our donors uh, once again for helping us out here. Uh, we are running in a running battle with YouTube who keeps wanting to uh, um, play the game of community standards. I'll bring you up to date on that later on, but it's um, it's um, it's quite an outfit. So if you're not seeing us on YouTube, it's because they are um, saying we violated community standards. And if I tell you their community is their community, boy, they they assume that their community is everybody's community. So uh, go figure. But anyway, here on Coach Hallway Locker Room, of course, we've got the a UF scrimmage. That's what I call it. Um, that occurred Sunday. Moved, of course, unnecessarily, as it turned out, if you will, to a Sunday. Could have been on a Saturday as the uh, fickle finger of fate treated the storm and avoided us. And But you err always on the side of caution. So um, the game was moved to Sunday. And it was uneventful. It was really as predicted. Um, how it, wow, those schools wind up on a on a schedule, of course, is um, beyond me, and it's done primarily by the lesser school to make the money, I assume, by coming to the bigger school. But it's uh, the only thing interesting about it, for me anyway, we got we got an opportunity to see the backup quarterback. It wasn't all that bad. And, and uh, you know, hey, run him in there once in a while if the other fellow messes up. So I really don't have a, a lot to say about the scrimmage. Um, with the, with the school, but next time they will play a team in the SEC, LSU, and then I believe after that, Missouri. Those will be really defining games for the season. After that, you'll know pretty much uh, what the Gator is this year and what they have to do for next year, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's the local, and not much really about the local other than that UF scrimmage. And um, um, the other thing I like to report for you here are things that are going on with an interesting dilemma in the NFL. And I you know, have friends who played in the NFL who, um, who go through this procedure even now as retired players uh, for examinations for concussions. Uh, some of them in the day when they played were allowed to head slap each other at the line of scrimmage and how uh, that was tolerated and considered to be fair play. After a while, wiser minds got together and said, well, we probably shouldn't be doing that. And so there's been a steady kind of attempt to uh, 
perhaps protect the players a little more, different helmets and all that, uh, and penalties for um, head-to-head sort of things. Uh, but this gray area about the quarterback and protecting the quarterback and slinging him to the ground, and nobody really wants the quarterback to uh, wear a, a, a hands-off jersey like they do in practice where you're not allowed to touch them. Well, that doesn't help much. Uh, somebody, nobody wants to see the game run that way. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, the NFL Players Association has gotten involved now with the uh, behavior that resulted in uh, uh, Tua Tagovailoa, if I can say that name, uh, being uh, helped off the field by stretcher this last time. So there's a little bit of a backstory to this I'd like to share with you, and it's coming out over AP, some of the other organizations, news networks are covering this. And it has to do with the NFL Players Association has dismissed a, a neurologist. Uh, they haven't given his name who evaluated Miami Dolphins quarterback. Uh, let's just brief it, uh, make it Tua after Tua hit his head uh, in a game against the Buffalo Bills. Now, the thing that was interesting, even compounding this, was that uh, the Buffalo Bills game was played on a Sunday. I watched that game and I saw him hit the ground. Now, the next game that the Dolphins played was just four days later, was played on a Thursday. This complicates the issue even more because when Tua hit the ground on Sunday, uh, it looked as if it was a, it were a very serious injury. He was uh, um, came uh, off the field and kind of wobbled. Uh, but lo and behold, uh, he came back into the second half and played. And is um, uh, he was allowed to return in that game. And uh, four days later, the same sort of injury occurred basically the same way when a rushing lineman uh, continues his thrust long after two is let go of the ball and go ahead and imp- uh, impacts him. And then there's this gray moment where that lineman goes ahead and tries to really do the damage to that quarterback. Under the premise, I'd have to say, uh, he's out of the quarterback's out of the game. Of course, that diminishes that team's chance of, of, of winning. So you see this behavior. It's a gray area. If it's helmet to helmet, they call it right away. But they haven't called too much about what I call the wrestling body slam. And so the league has been working, however, on modifying the league's concussion protocol. So this event worked right into the um, hands of the, of the turmoil because just four days later, the same injury happens. And in the beginning injury, one of the things that is really being examined is the uh, you know, neurologist who uh, is, is termed an unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. Now, the way this works with NFL team doctors, the NFL team doctor is the one who ultimately decides whether the player reenters the game upon the advice in head injuries of the unaffiliated neurotrauma consultant. Now, that neurotrauma consultant advised the team's doctor uh, during the Sunday evaluation that it was okay for him to go back in, that it was really a back problem more than it was a head problem in the injury. And so he came back in after initial diagnosis uh, that Tua didn't have a concussion. So now this has happened 
it's too much of particularly happen in front of everybody's eyes. It's too much of a risk to take. So um, the Dolphins have dismissed the unnamed neuro uh, neurologist uh, consultant, no neurotrauma consultant. And, uh, uh, and, and he's, he's uh, now uh, the, incidentally, the team doctor is an orthopedic surgeon. They usually are, or we're usually dealing with some sort of orthopedic injury. And um, this has now caused a great consternation among uh, the NFL and the players union and even the owners and the physicians, because this was an injury that was broadcast and seen in prime time. And it's uh, uh, raised the question of whether uh, there's a couple of questions, whether or not this particular player should have ever been allowed back. And secondly, what are you going to do to try to keep this from happening? Um, the players union has an investigation into how Tua's health was assessed. And, um, uh, you know, after that second incident, uh, he tried to take his helmet off. I watched him, but he couldn't use his hands. He couldn't get to his feet. He fell. So he was taken to the locker room on a stretcher, which is never a good thing to say with his head strapped. So it was immobile. Um, the concussion protocol has been developing for years by the league and the union. And uh, it says that a player cannot return if a team doctor, quote unquote, in consultation, consultation with an unaffiliated neurologist, determines that the player's gross motor instability is neurologically caused. Um, in other words, you can't stand up, you can't walk, you're not balanced. Uh, all those things uh, would be related to some sort of head injury. So um, the, 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 the idea that it was an ankle or back problem is going to get reexamined. It's going to become very controversial. I don't know what's come out of it already as controversial. The neurologists typically work at local hospitals in the home team city. Now, if you're playing in Miami, then the neurologist probably is associated with one of the Miami hospitals. In Tampa, for example, be associated with Tampa Hospital. Uh, they are approved by the league's chief medical officer and the Players Association medical director. So they have to be, you know, copacetic up, up to snuff in order to be actually allowed to even consult. But uh, um, the, the union's move really to dismiss the neurologist is probably going to end up being a symbolic move because. Uh, there's going to have to be deeper examination into who is ultimately going to make the decision. Uh, hopefully it's not one for the expediency of victory on the concussion or the head injury. It's, uh, uh, but it's going to be falling on the uh, judgment of the head team position. And the protocol is going to be focusing on that guy's uh, ultimate uh, decision that he gets from the uh, neurology consulting people. Um, so the Dolphins have not said if Tua had a concussion during the game on Sunday, which has been kind of interesting. They say he did sustain a concussion Thursday, just four days later. So a second concussion uh, before an earlier one had properly healed will be the issue that's being looked at here. And it has really got a lot of implications. Um, you know, you're talking about, I, I don't know how, I, I don't have one on the top of my head, 
how much money they pay these quarterbacks, but you know it's ridiculous. So, so there's a lot of money invested in that entity, and what are you going to do with that? I mean, what you know, what what are you going to, how are you going to handle that? So uh, they don't have a timeline really for Tua Tagovailoa to return. Um, that will be interesting. We'll be watching it. Those of us who kind of pay attention to these sort of things. Um, I, I, I think it's a really strange air, uh, gray era area for um, this to be going on. It's, it's, um, it's unfortunate that we have um, this type of situation where, you know, it's, it is a violent game and the guys who play it welcome that. They don't have any problem with it. Um, they, they think it's part of the whole, they sign on to it. They don't, they don't mind. I mean, that's, that's the nature of their, their behavior, but, and they're taught to hit as hard as they can, of course, and that's all part of the game, but, and that's what attracts the fans. If the game were not violent, would it attract the fans? Now it's an interesting transition I'm setting up here because of what has been decided about the NFL pro bowl. I don't know if you all really have paid much attention to this, but uh, I'm assuming you have. There's always been a Pro Bowl all the way back to 1951. January is when it was first uh, rolled out in Los Angeles. And the Pro Bowl was played there in Los Angeles uh, for 21 seasons before it moved to different cities from 1972 to 80. Then Hawaii hosted it from 1980 to 2009 under the notion, I'm sure, that it was a good time for go party in Hawaii. And then uh, uh, the game has been several years since then, been in Miami, Phoenix, Orlando, Las Vegas. And the problem with this game is you have the, the uh, 88 of the biggest stars in the NFL who don't want to hurt each other. And so they end up kind of playing a, a hands-off uh, kind of game. And, you know, for why? What, you know, why? And I'm happy to report here that the A&P and Huffington Post covered this story. Um, I'm happy to report that, yeah, somebody else has said, why? Why do you have a Pro Bowl when you got the best players who don't want to hurt each other, understandably? So, guess what has happened to the Pro Bowl? There's going to be a new event that's going to replace this full contact a version of the Pro Bowl that came out in 1951. Uh, It will be held in 2023 in Las Vegas. And guess what? It will be flag football. Flag football. Now, you know, flag football is pretty darn interesting. I was a member of a city championship flag football team in, in Gainesville. We won, if my memory serves me right, several years in a row. We won the city championship, and we had great athletes on that team. Um, I can I can just I don't want to get into naming some, but I mean they were really very good as, athletes. Some of them former Gators, so we enjoyed that. We played that game in a high spirited way, and it, it required all the preparation and pass routes and and schemes like that. But we didn't try to hurt each other, although we did get in a brawl one time with a team that didn't like us on seating them. And that was a fisticuffs all out deal. And so it's, it's there. It's, it's all part of the sport. And uh, it's happened um, 
someone was kind of pushed uh, unnecessarily while being not, ripped of his, tab, of his flag. And that issued into out of bounds, by the way, I remember it very clearly. And that resulted in a pile on. And it, it actually got to the place where um, the, the city decided uh, because of that one team, which I will not mention right now, um, they introduced a level of violence to the flag football world that ended the flag football world. Well, I'll go ahead and say it. It was Sinbad. It was an all-black team that was in the league, and they, be- they came and turned it into a brawl, which we welcomed, but the city didn't. And we beat them, of course, and they didn't like that. And so, you know, we'd have fisticuffs, and, and the city decided we can't have it as long as um, Sinbad, and they had a name, Sinbad, S-I-N-B-A-D, would turn it into that type of behavior. And so kaput, there went uh, flag football in the rec center in the city of Gainesville in those days. And we exited two or three-time champions. And um, that was it, and so be it. But now we're bringing flag football to, to Las Vegas. And these guys, these 88 best pro players, are going to do that as well as demonstrate some other skills, perhaps some sort of version of an NFL tryout camp. But the interesting thing about this, the guy who's in on producing this, and I'm told that he and his brother have more money than the law allows, and that is saying a lot in this day and time of inflated value of ex-jocks. The value of an ex-jock is basically zero uh, until some – Jock aficionado worshiper comes along and will pay anything to wear the emblem or whatever. And there's lots of people and that's a, that's the way our society is. And so there's a brand, there's a marketing, there's a, there's a whole deal that goes with it. And it is, um, it's the sign of our times and what we do. So long comes maybe the quintessential example of this is Peyton Manning and his production called, company called Omaha Productions Company. Omaha Productions Company by Peyton Manning, and don't forget his brother, Eli, uh, but this is basically Peyton, uh, is going to, he's a 14-time Pro Bowl pick, by the way. He's in the Hall of Fame. He never beat Florida, by the way, when he was at Tennessee, and we never let him forget that. But they are going to, he's going to be the producer of this thing, and it's going to be, um, partnering with the International Federation of American Football, and it's going to even have as a goal bringing flag football to the World Games in July with an eye on the 2028 Olympics in Los Angeles. So Manning, uh, with his Omaha Productions company, is going has been an advocate of dropping the tackle football for the Pro Bowl, Bowl and because he was there in line, put his Omaha Productions Company uh, up as an example of how it could be done. And lo and behold, he's going to be working with the NFL to, quote, unquote, reimagine the Pro Bowl uh, games and what they'll be like. And they think that this approach will even attract more youth to the game. Uh, Because more boys and girls will see themselves playing the same game as the best players in the world. Now, we know that football in many places, our version of football in many places in the world, uh, can't compete really with soccer. And soccer has even been growing in interest in the school system. So 
Um, um, there is a little bit of a comp- competition level of this all, but there's still fan voting is going to determine um, the American football AFC and NFC team rosters. Um, probably Tom Brady has had the most invitations to the Pro Bowl, according to AMP, with 15. Four players got 14 invites, including Manning. Uh, so there you are. This will be uh, coming up uh, soon. It's going to redesign and redefine the Pro Bowl, and I'm all for it. I think it's long overdue. I think it's something we should have. We already had pulled back on the contact the players had in the Pro Bowl and it turned it into kind of a goofball uh, exhibition. So um, that's that's uh, that's probably a good move for that particular event anyway. Now, in Coach Hogg's locker room here, uh, my conversation with you would probably not be complete without talking about an ongoing issue about transgender athletes in girls' sports. And Fox News has got uh, another uh, coverage of an issue. There are four former Connecticut high school, former now, Connecticut high school female athletes who are suing the state of Connecticut, a liberal state, of course, for its policy allowing transgender students to participate in women's sports. Okay, well, that is uh, problematic in some people's minds, and certainly it's problematic in the minds of these ladies who are suing uh, the Connecticut state itself. Uh, Selena Soul is one of four track athletes, and she's at the center of the lawsuit. She told Fox News that Connecticut's transgender athlete policy is unfair and it creates a disadvantage for, quote-unquote, female athletes. Now, Connecticut's Department of Education has been protecting transgender students from discrimination. So that's how they get involved in this. They argue that under Title IX, which is that, uh, uh, that policy that, um, you know, for every male sport is a female sport, I have a friend, by the way, who's got super wealthy lighting women's softball fields around the state of Florida. Every softball field where men had played uh, or any field that men had played on exclusively that women got a uh, their own version of it. The men's court uh, fields had already been lighted. So he came along and lit or lighted all the others in the state and walked away with a pocket full of cash. So um, by that, I mean, he represented the company that did it. And it was just all because of Title IX. So not Title IX now has really been corrupted, according to this lawsuit, because, uh, see, Connecticut says that the law prohibits schools from receiving federal funding that discriminate based on sex. Now, there's the key. Federal money. You won't get any federal money if you discriminate on the basis of sex. Now, heretofore, look down and see what you got has been the definition of sex. So you have males here and females there. That's not the case now under the definition of sex. Sex is now a fluid, a fluid definition, and it can be changeable 
It can be altered. It can be transitional. It can be developmental. And it's still sex. Now, unless we get back to the binary, biological, numerical, genetic moment of birth, anything thereafter is subject to a kind of gray interpretation under Title IX. I don't know how this is going to resolve itself, but there are tremendous negative consequences. This lawsuit brought by these females, actual females, uh, from allowing boys to play girls' sports. Now you say, well, it's not a boy. Well, what is it? I mean, is it a girl? So it's sex. So everybody has a sex, you would think, but everybody's sex is not stable. It can be changed and still be sex. And therefore, you can still violate the federal government's policy under Title IX. I don't know how this thing's going to work out. It's weird. But the older I get, the weirder things get. Either I'm getting weirder or the world is getting weirder or both. But this, these ladies say that they lost out on qualifying spots for meets, uh, possibly even, this is pretty interesting, possibly even scholarship opportunities. Well, sure, I can see that. If you are a quote-unquote look down and see what you got female, then you may not get the scholarship if look, if you, if, because somebody who looked down and sees what they got ain't got it. They may get it. And you may not get it. And that person started out a male that's transitioning to female. And you started out a female and stayed female. But you didn't get the scholarship. It's crazy. So it's a frustrating and heartbreaking thing to go through, she says. I bet it is. And initially, get this. The lawsuit against Connecticut was initially thrown out last year by a U.S. District Court judge who ruled the case was moot because the two transgender athletes who set records in women's sports had already graduated high school. Huh? Huh? So now there's something called the Alliance Defending Freedom, ADF, that is representing these four former Connecticut traffic athletes in an appeal. And so the court, uh, the court of appeals, U.S. Court of Appeals, is going to hear the case from the Second Circuit, and um, that'll be lining up soon this week. I, I don't know where this stuff. It's crazy. It's another crazy thing that uh, uh, just comes around in um, in the world of uh, cultural events. I guess. I mean, everything is on. Nothing is absolute. Nothing is at rest. Um, Now, the ADF lawyers are arguing that Connecticut's policy violates Title IX. Well, and also is trying to set aside the transgender athletes who took the place of the real females, if you will, uh, set records in track. It wasn't understandable. So the females are trying to get those records overturned because they're arguing that the Connecticut Interscholastic Athletic Conference rules can do that. They can overturn a retroactive. They can make a retroactive correction of records if a record is found to have been achieved in violation of the rules. So the question is, did it violate the rules? It's going to, you know, it's going to depend on who's bore at the cabbage. 
you know, people who say that we are a nation of laws, no, 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 no. We are a nation of people who interpret the laws, okay? And once they're interpreted, apply or don't apply. Or, hey, come on. Uh, you, you, you see it. Adjudication withheld, break it down from a felony to a misdemeanor, guys back out on the street shooting people and selling drugs. He was already in the jug for shooting people and selling drugs. How did he get there? Well, they broke it down. Adjudication withheld, probation, all these mitigating, oh, he came from the wrong side of the tracks, um, you know, his mama and this and that, one and another. So the guy's back out on the bricks killing people. Um, that's where we are in this, this strange, convoluted world of uh, interpretation of rules. It's, uh, you know, and now we've got it all the way up to the Supreme Court because the, the liberals want to be able to read into the rule anything they want to read into it uh, to make uh, the rule applicable to their situation, um, which is exactly upside down, you know, and um, so they want to destroy the Supreme Court. Meanwhile, conservatives have put up with rules from the Supreme Court for years and haven't wanted to destroy it that they didn't agree with and that and they didn't want to destroy the Supreme Court. You go figure. Take a break right now. We'll come back and talk about this horrible storm that uh, some people are never going to recover from. Coach Hogg leaving the Coach Hogg locker room. Be right back. Although the owner of Lewis Oil Company maintains she is 29, Lewis Oil turns 60 years old in June. Chevron would like to recognize the North Florida second-generation family-owned business, celebrating its growth and staying power. Lewis Oil Company maintains significant on-hand supplies, strategically located fuel depots, a delivery fleet, on-site service, fuel card locks, and convenience stores. Lewis Oil Company understands its responsibility in the local economy by providing service and delivery on on demand and in crisis. As a first responder for 18 Florida counties and the southeast from Texas to Virginia, we are proud of this rare accomplishment. Lewis Oil delivers. This is Ward Scott, and I want to thank all our sponsors who keep the show going and pay the bills. The Ward Scott Files premium sponsors are Crime Prevention Security Systems, large enough to serve you, small enough to care. Melvin Law, the only official injury partner of the Florida Gators. The Ward Scott Files Gold sponsors are Lewis Oil Company, Shoot GTR, On the Spot Dry Cleaners, RR Construction, and Style Cuts. If you are interested in promoting your business on the show, you can visit our website, www.wardscottfiles.com and click on the Advertise Here banner on the right side of the page or call my friend Freddie at 352-284-3733. Again, thank you to all the great businesses that support the Ward Scott Files. And remember, if you like the show, thank our sponsors and support the businesses that support us. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. May God have mercy on your soul. Or that very much surprises me that you've never been tased. You can't handle the truth! 
all bees poop. A warthog. He's going to come up the steps. Here he comes. Oh my goodness, and he's huge. Hello, boy. I wonder if we can pet him. Hi, boy. Can we touch him? No, don't. Help me! Help! Help! Now for the weather brought to you by Lewis Oil. All right, time for this is weather report. And I want to thank. Water, water damage, and got no sound. I got no sound now. I'm getting a message. What's going on? Not according to my people here. What happened? Okay, we should have sound now. Good now. Thank you, Plantation Mark. We had a uh, we're still, thank you, sir, Michael Lucas. We're we're still recovering from, uh, if you will, we're still recovering somewhat from the effects of this internet. I could not broadcast um, Friday because our internet was down, and we're just talking. I'm going to repeat myself that uh, uh, the Fort Myers area, even Kissimmee and St. Cloud, St. Cloud is being evacuated. A lot of it's because they got somebody. 15, 16, 17 inches of rain. And I know Lake uh, uh, Tehopitalika very, very well, and I don't think it can handle that. Uh, we've got the um, whole Kissimmee River system there. This, um, you know, we haven't begun to see this all settled out yet. Now, people have been asking how we did in the Piney Woods here. We did okay. We didn't have a direct hit. We are very fortunate. But the thing uh, flipped around and flooded St. Augustine streets. But my, my concern today that I want to talk about with you, and I know there was pressure on the city fathers in those days, but this so-called Sanibel Island, I just want to focus on it. It's not an island. It's a sand dune. It's really just a sand dune. And being a sand dune, nevertheless, build a road to it. Um, build expensive houses on it, all the above, under the assumption, I guess, that it was firm ground. It's biblical. Don't build your house on sand. Come on. Now, that's what they did. And when they did it, they never thought, of course, that anything like that would ever come along 
that would destroy their house built on sand. But it did. And not just destroy it, but wipe it out irreparably. Now, what I think about this, you get a deed to a piece of property. Do you not? When you when you when you buy a lot, for example, you get a deed to that piece of property. Well, the deed you got for a piece of property in Santa Bella doesn't exist. You don't have not only do you not have a house, you don't have a piece of property to rebuild the house on. Now, we've done this in Florida. We put things where things shouldn't be. And there's all sorts of ways to look at this. We're putting in Gainesville, we're putting, are we not? We're putting inclusionary housing, single family home areas. You don't think there won't be a disaster someday? You don't think that thing won't, that whole thing blow up? Now, it may not be from a storm like it is in Sanibel Island, but it'll be another form of storm. So it's always been interesting that the Environmental Protection Department really only has a political interest. It doesn't have a real environmental interest. If an Environmental Protection Department had been doing its job, Sanibel Island would have remained exactly what it should have been, an uninhabited sand dune. But it's not. Now, coming inland and going up across the state, you have to remember Florida was once underwater. If you fly over Florida in a small plane, Florida doesn't look like a land with lakes, even before the storm. Florida looks like water with islands. The only high ground is up here in the northern part of the state. And along the center of the state, it's called the highlands. And I-75 goes right down the spine of the state. And that high ground roughly is from the Georgia line down to southern edge of Marion County. And, you know, my good friend Ken Hillier parts of, uh, uh, talks about insurance. We've already got insurance companies pulling out of Florida using roofs as an excuse. Everybody's getting a letter. I've gotten letters on three different properties. Go check your roofs. If you don't have the roofs down to where they can last another five years, we're not going to insure you. Now's the time to be a roofer. You will never run out of work. Insurance companies are using this as a ruse to pull out of Florida. Now they really got an issue in Florida. And everybody else's rates are going to have to cover the damage done by people who should never have been allowed to build where they built in the first place. Now, one of the weird things about 
the world of the so-called Environmental Protection Agency. I told you this story before. I'll tell it again. When I was chair of the Rural Concerns Advisory Committee to the County Commission, the Lachlan County Commission, there was a farmer who called me and asked me if I could help him. He, had, he was a third-generation farmer. And he had a piece of property, particular, this particular piece of property was about 80 acres. And it had an old shed on it. He wanted to move it, so he did the right thing. He asked for a permit. And when he asked for the permit, the county came out and inspected where the shed was and put this, that wing, another. And the inspection guy said, oh, my God. Are we back on sound? Yeah, we're back on sound. Um, just got another signal. Keep me posted there, police production. Um, now, the inspector said, my golly, not only do you have a shed here, but you've got uh, a dry creek bed right next to that shed. A dry creek bed, the man said? Well, yeah, right there. Don't you see it? Well, the farmer said, you know, I've been here. For, my family's been here for three generations. There never, there's never water in there. Well, the inspector said, well, it could be. Now, compare this conversation to Sanibel Island. So the inspector says, it could be. I mean, which one is the rational conversation is going to be my point. So, therefore... You have got at your own expense to fence off that area where that dry creek bed is. Well, the farmer says, I would lose 20 acres of my land that way. Well, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. It's a dry creek bed and there could be water in it someday. And that water could be a pollutant. What? So the man came to me because he thought I could go to somebody. And, and have a reasonable reply. And I didn't. I couldn't. It ended up the man had to fence off 20 acres of his property. The shed became inconsequential. And moved, he moved it to satisfy the concerns of a creek bed that never had water in it. I don't even know if it had water in it during a hurricane. And the old man said it didn't. Now, the same thing is going to come before the Supreme Court of the United States. Not that old man's issue, but one like it. There is a couple named Michael and Chantel Sackett. They've been trying to build a home on a lot in Priest Lake, Idaho, for 15 years. And so they did that thing they're supposed to do, went and got a permit. And as soon as they got the permit, the Environmental Protection Agency swooped in and claimed their property. Are you ready for this? Likely, 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 not definitely, not certainly, but likely contained 
wetlands subject to federal regulation under, are you ready for this? The Clean Water Act. The Clean Water Act. Well, their land contained no water. Just as the old man who came to me, his land contained no water. Furthermore, the Environmental Protection Agency is allowed to regulate only navigable waters. But the EPA created its own little syllogism. Here's the way it went. You think this is not happening to people? You who live over in some quiet suburb that could flood? Anyway. Really flood? The EPA hadn't come around and knocked on your door, I'm sure. Told you to get out. So here was the EPA's reason. This couple's lot was connected to a wetland, though it was separated by a 30-foot paved road. And that wetland was connected to a man-made ditch that was connected to a non-navigable creek that was connected to the Priest Lake, which was navigable. This reminds me of that old thing, the backbone connected to the neck bone, the neck bone connected to the leg bone, leg bone connected to the ankle bone, something like that. That's the way the EPA reasoning went. Are you with me? The neck bone connected to the backbone, the backbone connected to the leg bone. Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote in an opinion once upon a time that the EPA could regulate wetlands as long as they had a quote unquote significant nexus to or significantly affected the physical, chemical and biological integrity of waters, which were more readily understood as navigable. When he wrote that, opinion, it created an unlimited principle of connectivity which the EPA could use. My hapless farmer friend who had to fence off 20 acres of his land is a victim of this logic. So the EPA now takes it upon its own self using Kennedy's opinion that it can regulate any land, including dry lots, which have a significant nexus to a navigable river or water, no matter how tenuous the connection is. Where were they when people were allowed to build on Santa Bill sand dune? Where were they then? You see what I'm getting at? They're not really an environmental protection agency. The EPA is a climate change agency. Advancing a political agenda. Again, Hanrahan. Somebody asked me about her the other day. She's an environmental engineer. She's bought all this lock, stock, and barrel. She's the mistress of the biomass plant. 
totally believes all this stuff. Meanwhile, farmers, citizens, energy companies, they don't know for certain that the EPA is not going to come in and claim their land as a wetland because the neck bone connected to the backbone, the backbone connected to the leg bone, leg bone connected to the ankle bone, ankle bone connected to the foot bone. You don't think language doesn't matter? When I first became an English major, my father, who was an engineer, went nuts. Well, what are you going to do with that? Well, interpret language. Every single thing we do rests upon the interpretation of language. West Virginia versus EPA is rewriting the law and arrogating to itself sweeping power over broad swaths of the economy. This is not about environmental pollution. Is that all the EPA is about, environmental pollution? What did they have on Sanibel Sand Dune? Did they have septic tanks? Did they have sewer? Did they extend sewer? I got to research. Did they extend sewer out there to the sand dune for those people? What is a legitimate role of a legitimate environmental protection agency? I put that on the table for you, you all to think about, you all to care about, you all, uh, you all to act accordingly. Don't, by golly, call an official out to move a place on your property. Because that official may look at your property and say, my, 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 little boy, did you not realize you've been violating the law all these years? I am right now hoping to do something. I think we're going to get it done. Um, public records request for the curriculum that the hapless GPD officers who giggled during the incident with the running person who lost the eye, the one who would not comply with the police. Um, I want to see what constitutes sensitivity. So I'm going to do a public records request for the curriculum of the sensitivity training that the GPD cops are undergoing before they can go back out on the bricks. Meanwhile, Laura Morgan, who is a nurse or was a nurse, has written an article in the journal 
about how she was fired from her nursing job for refusing to take implicit bias training. Now, I assure you, my friends, that those hapless cops want to keep their job as a cop, even though they've been through all sorts of training. If they would refuse to take the sensitivity training, Lonnie Scott, for no other reason than then to appease the, 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 the wolves howling at the door, would fire them. I have no doubt about that. I have no doubt about that. I wonder if Jim Murphy agrees with me. I mean, come on. This woman, Laura Morgan, was fired from her nursing job for refusing to take the implicit bias training. She had been a nurse for 39 years. She'd never thought of race when she took care of somebody. But all of a sudden, she had to take this mandatory course because it was grounded in the premise that if you were white, you were a racist. This started for her, she says, in September 2021, when the Dallas-based Baylor Scott and White Health rolled out its annual training modules for clinical educators. And she went to her supervisor, the chief nursing officer, and the human resources director and asked for a meeting, and they didn't show up. So it was just assumed that for 39 years, she'd been a hateful racist. And she needed to puke it out of her system once and for all if she were to continue to be a nurse. Because the assumption now is that healthcare is et up with ingrained racism, et up, as we say. So in her case, since she refused to take the training, she abruptly went from a six-figure job to zero income. Furthermore, it would be difficult, she found out, to get a job anywhere else because the whole medical system is requiring implicit basis based bias training in Kentucky. The board of nursing requires that all registered nurses take a continuing education course on implicit bias. In Michigan, they're requiring all professional license holders to take two hours of implicit bias training. And that's everyone, everyone, from doctors and nurses to dentists and counselors, anybody. And the training has to be done, taken at every license renewal, which means that you have been permanently a racist and from the time you take the training to the time you renew, you slip back into racism. Now, as far as I can tell, it's only white that's racist. I haven't seen where this is done for black as well. Because they're racist too, you know. Racism is racism. It doesn't matter whether it's white or black. 
I have a very good friend, black, who's big black racist. I tell him all the time, one of the most racist people I know, he laughs about it. He says, yeah, hates white people. But, I mean, we're good buddies. We laugh about it. Massachusetts is remanded, mandating for doctors, for doctors, implicit bias training. Of course, that place lost its mind a long time ago, right? Maryland, implicit bias training for all healthcare practitioners. Huh? Never mind the obvious question why would you? As a hated person, go see a physician who hated you and who would deliberately hurt your health. How in the world does that work? The Texas Nurses Association supports implicit bias training for nurses. The National Federation of State Medical Boards urges state boards to take a bigger role in addressing the systemic racism and structural inequities that are in quote embedded in American healthcare. You think I jest? This is from this lady who is a registered nurse and a program director and have been 39 years in the medical business and all of a sudden has been declared a racist. We're going to see if we can get that doggone curriculum for the sensitivity training of the GPD cops. I hope we'll get it. Thanks, Mark, for offering to help us with that. We, we need it. We'll come back and ask you. They try to keep us from getting it or make it difficult for us to get. Well, that's probably good enough for today, 9.58. Apologize for a moment there where the sound was off. I'm, thanks for letting me know. I feed it back to production let them know. Good morning, everybody. And uh, we've got a great guest for tomorrow. And uh, today, uh, one of my buddies in production said that we're going to have Yoho. We have Yoho on Wednesday. And Ted's just getting back from Vietnam, so we should have a good show coming up Wednesday. So I don't know. Be careful of your implicit bias. Uh, you know you add up with it. And, you know, you just know you are. You know you know good now. You just know good, low count. So correct your ways. All right? Have a good day. Warthog Command Center out.